Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Hello, dear ones. I hope you are well today. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to let you know about our new listener survey. As we prepare for our next season and beyond, we want to hear from you about how you listen to Blink of an Eye and what you think we can do better. If you're interested in filling out this quick 10-minute survey, the link will be in the show notes. Now, for today's bonus episode, the second part of a two-part recap of the trauma healing learnings from season two. This episode is chock full of everything from advocacy tips in crisis medical environments, insights about our bodies and their ways of processing trauma, and reflections on how faith can anchor us through the storms of crisis. Excerpts are grouped by themes rather than by the order of appearance in the season, so you can find some connection between them, as I have while producing this montage. Maybe there will be some new insights and connections for you as you listen to these excerpts in new ways. So take a deep breath, settle in, and anticipate new and old insights awaiting you. This is Highlights of Trauma Healing Learnings, Part 2. As you consider the losses and traumas of your past, you might be inspired to know that similar to the impact of trauma on a system, your integration work towards trauma healing will also affect the system. Others in your family, in your friend group, in your workplace, your church group, in your social group. So it matters that we are doing this work and it matters that we are doing it together. If you are not interested in your own trauma healing and you stayed in a state of numbness over the loss or a state of denial with your deep loss locked away, or you stayed in a state of impulsivity or personal reactivity to others, these states impact others. That's right, family systems. So your taking care of you is an act of love and service to others 
in your family system. <laughs> maybe you haven't thought of it that way before. Or maybe you have. Well, it's true. Trauma healing is not just good for you. It's good for all those who know you and who interact with you. Exploring our past traumas is an invitation to each of us to integrate, to heal, and to strengthen our connections with others and with ourselves. Yes, we are all so interconnected and we have so much capacity. You might be wondering though what I mean by integration for trauma healing work. Well, integration is the metabolizing of the strong mental, emotional, and physical reactions to the trauma of the past. Making sense of the emotional extremes by working with them with love and compassion so they can balance out and even be released. So if there is an old, painful situation still unresolved in your life, you might want to give it some attention if you feel safe enough to do so. And if you do, there is no time like now. Maybe it's a long-standing, unresolved uh, family dispute or a dark family secret. Or maybe it's a rift between you and a sibling or a death of a young sibling or best friend some time ago. Or the death or loss of a parent when you were young. Or the witnessing of something violent when you were young or the experience of something violent that happened to you or just not having your basic needs met when you were young, the divorce of your parents or a catastrophic physical injury in your family. The list is long of potential traumas you may want to explore. Close your eyes if you're in a place where it's safe to do so and imagine something good in your life. Notice where you place your attention when things are going well. On what do you place your attention? On whom? Where are you? Can you put yourself in that place? Maybe you just got some lovely news about one of your children or your partner just said or did something kind for you or you just got good news at your job or you have a wonderful, easy weekend coming up or perhaps it's an upcoming vacation and you can feel that sun or water or hillside or mountain. Just notice what you place your attention on. Notice what happens now in your body 
when your attention is placed on those pleasant thoughts. The sensations in your body perhaps feel alive, energized, relaxed, at ease. It is pleasant. It's easy to smile. You glide more through your day. Your step is lighter. Your body feels lighter. You're more flexible. (laughs) It's easier to laugh. Yes, as your attention is placed on positive thoughts, you can be carried. And you experience a higher vibration of living in these moments. Now, consider something that has gone wrong. Where is your attention being placed now? Notice. What do you place your attention on when things are not going well? Perhaps it's error, the other's mistake. Perhaps it's your own inadequacy or the other person's incompetency or someone's overlooking you or your worthlessness. Just notice and notice your body. It's tighter than it was. Or you might not even be able to notice your body. Perhaps you instinctively have blamed someone else or blamed yourself or been angry with someone else or angry with yourself. Or you've turned inward to that island chastising yourself. What an idiot your thoughts might tell you. Just notice where your attention is now. You feel heavy, maybe a pit in your stomach. Maybe it's a flame, a heat. Maybe you're perspiring more. Maybe you're tight-fisted. You don't glide. You might even trip and fall. When you speak, it's flustered or not at all. You're tight and it's hard to hear others clearly and they've accused you of not listening and you can't. Your mind is closed. Your body is closed. It's rigid. Just notice. Notice your body sensations that are corresponding to where you placed your attention. You want to punch someone? Make it all go away. Your body doesn't like the sensation. It wants to discharge it. You're experiencing a lower vibration of living 
in this moment. Let's take a cleansing breath. Yes, where we place our attention, our energy follows. There is an excellent book titled Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. One of my sons is what the author would call quiet. And I liked her premise that Western culture misunderstands and undervalues the traits of those who are introverted. But I think what Dutch was referencing was actually something else. I think he was using the word quiet to mean he just didn't want to talk about it because he was not capable at that time of talking about it. Suffice it to say someone might be termed quiet when they have been through something catastrophic and have not been able to process it. Quiet in that way might be code for someone in pain. Quiet might be code that boys use for their pain. That's how I see it. And to say someone is quiet when they have been through a trauma or a life experience that has deprived them of something very dear, that breaks my heart a little. Yeah, I think quiet can be a sort of euphemism. You know what I mean? It's hard to fully process the pain of our lives alone, relying primarily on thoughts in our heads. It is. Trauma healing does beckon each of us to engage with others so that we are not alone with those thoughts in our heads. We might gain some of our deepest insights when we are on our own with those thoughts, but the healing journey is made lighter with the meaningful exchange with others. Others who care, others interested in our well-being. We might be more trauma-informed in our immediate response to others in trauma when we allow and encourage them to ask questions, even unceasingly, about what has just happened. One NIH research study holds that in the immediate aftermath of a traumatic event, many individuals experience what would be considered PTSD, that's post-traumatic stress disorder, symptoms, particularly a physiological reactivity in response to reminders of the traumatic event a reactivity that shows up in the body. A number of research articles confirm that all PTSD-like symptoms are expected in trauma, but that they typically lessen over time. However, 
For a small subsection of people who are exposed to or experience trauma, there remains an over-reliance on avoidant coping strategies, including not wanting to talk about the underlying event or pain, or not being able to talk about the underlying event. The studies indicate that this over-reliance on avoidance may interfere with the natural recovery process, particularly for those who are highly reactive to trauma reminders. I don't want to talk about it is not a healthy long-term strategy. When someone is in shock and feels shattered, shell-shocked, betrayed, violated, they are very disempowered. They do not have clarity or a feeling of personal strength or an ability to be fully responsive to others. They're confused, unsettled, uncertain, and even beginning to doubt what is around them. So how do we respond to a person in shock? Well, let's remember that trauma is not a cognitive experience, right? We know it's an emotional and a bodily experience. It's not a nice, neat, linear, orderly, rational way of thinking. No. It's a crazy jumble of nerves on high end, on dead end, an emotional roller coaster, a back and forth exhaustive, perseverating as the brain is scanning desperately, looking for solid ground. Something trustworthy. Trauma also causes the thinking brain to freeze such that the cognitive brain is only receiving about 20% of information that is provided. That's right. Trauma is an emotional and physical experience that causes the thinking brain to go offline. No matter how smart, intelligent, well-traveled, or educated we are. The trauma experience causes in human beings what we might call foggy brain, hyper-alert brain, untrusting brain, defensive brain, anxious brain, reactive brain, shutdown brain. We are wired this way for these things to happen. And it can be all or just one of these things for each individual experiencing trauma. It can also be a pattern of these things for a person living a life after trauma that is lived and shaped by old unhealed trauma. It's what makes working with trauma so tricky and so hard for many professionals. But it doesn't have to be that tricky or hard. When we remember we 
are resources for trauma healing. All it takes is staying alert to opportunities to be or become that resource for our own or others' trauma healing. How do we do that? Well, we remember that the traumatized body causes the brain to scan for safety as it filters at a nanosecond speed whether something is safe or unsafe, friend or foe. This is important information for us, both personally, if we are traumatized, and important information for us if we are around or working with or loving with someone who is traumatized or living with old, unresolved trauma. Imagine an environment that doesn't assault our bodies, but rather is intentionally kind to our bodies. With soft touch, with sweet food, with clean water. Imagine our senses being soothed by the smell of delicate fragrance that you want to breathe in forever by the sight of beauty, photos that transport you to good memories or places you have been or places you have never been but beckon you by the soft sound of nature, trickling water, the ocean, birds, or the soft, resonant sounds of a gong, piano, or wind instrument, or by the inspiration of deep, devoted love, of you, so real you can feel its warmth, infinitely good. Right? There are many elements to a healing sanctuary, many ways to use your power to promote healing rather than going along with the norm that is sleepy or stagnant or even causing harm. So let's look at some of those ways. Well, for starters, you can use your physical and relationship power to show up with love and care for someone in a hospital with all humility and gentleness, like my sister Lillian did in the companion episode. This is certainly one way to use your power to bring healing into a hospital room. Or you might use your physical power to close a hospital room door in an intensive care unit, to block out loud, harsh sounds and create some quiet, like my brother Tripper did in the companion episode. This allows the body to not feel so stressed, to relax, and maybe even to begin to re-regulate 
small changes you can make to the environment can make a big difference. And if you are a hospital administrator or nurse administrator who brings the idea of a healing sanctuary to your hospital, <laughs> you are using your positional power for trauma healing on a larger scale. We all know what it is like to be let down by something, by someone. But the feeling of abandonment or betrayal is devastating. And it is part of the trauma experience for many people. And it's part of the ACEs inventory for predicting healthy adult adjustment and health. It stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. It was commissioned by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente. It's only 10 questions about common traumatic experiences that happen early in life. And it is a helpful predictor of later challenges in life. The more ACEs you score, the higher the risk for things like chronic disease, mental illness, and violence, to name a few. Now, like any inventory, it doesn't mean you are destined or doomed. But I find it very illuminating and helpful for a deeper understanding of early trauma and of the long-term impact of individual trauma, as well as intergenerational trauma that can be passed along from a mother to her baby when such trauma experiences have not been metabolized by the mother. You might want to take the inventory. If you're interested in what the 10 ACEs are, they include experiencing physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, physical, emotional neglect, living with a family member who's addicted to alcohol or another drug, is depressed or has other mental illness or who is imprisoned, witnessing a mother's abuse, divorce or separation, death, loss or impairment of a primary caretaker or family member. For people who have four types of childhood adversity experiences, an ACE score of four alcoholism risk increases 700%. Attempted suicide increases 1,200%. Heart disease and cancer nearly double. People with high ACE scores have higher rates of failed marriages, more broken bones, more depression, more prescription drug use, and more obesity. Look up the ACEs inventory. It's online. That's the letters A-C-E-S to get your score. And if you score high, it's okay. 
we are all on this trauma healing journey together and we can heal. We can. Where we are in the companion story, I realized there is no one way to be when your world is turned upside down. There isn't. There is a way for you to be that is authentic and it's okay. All ways in trauma are valid ways. If you have or look like you have your act together, that's perfectly acceptable. If you collapse and fall apart, that's acceptable too. Trauma healing is not getting trapped in the falling down. You have to pick yourself up again in time and with the help of others, or I like to think of it in God's time. I do think faith is a central piece of trauma healing, whatever that means to you. It's central because to believe that there is something much larger than you are and something that is so loving and benevolent constantly than anything else you have ever felt before is comforting. I do think we catch glimpses of this pure, no-strings-attached benevolence and love when we have moments of laughter in the midst of great pain or stress like what happened between Archer's tracheotomy surgeon and me when I kissed his hands, or like what happened between Archer and me when he sent me a knowing, slow wink about orange juice when the nurse said he wouldn't have water for months. <laughs> Laughter. It's so connecting. And it's such a release, isn't it? Such a relief and can be so intimate. It really does bind us together. And even in hospitals and doctor's offices, laughter and humor have the potential to help with medical trauma and scary procedures. The point is, that laughter helps the patient relax, which can open channels of communication and build trust. Maybe the art of humor could be included in courses for doctors and nurses and trauma healers too. Maybe it's just the art of being fully human. Laughter. It might just broaden a patient's outlook and help shift the attention away from the harsh sounds of the ICU, the blood draws, the pain, and the pills. One of the world's leading scientific experts on gratitude, Robert Emmons, says that gratitude has two components 
quote. First, gratitude is an affirmation of goodness. We affirm that there are good things in the world, gifts and benefits we've received. In the second part, we recognize that the sources of this goodness are outside of ourselves. We acknowledge that other people gave us many gifts, big and small, to help us achieve the goodness in our lives. It is so powerful to replace blame with gratitude that even for Archer, as we left Atlantic Care in the companion story, and all the mistakes and errors and harm that had been done to him, I think we were both grateful for the doctors and the team who kept him alive. It was remarkable to me to feel flooded with gratitude as we left for the medical team. Gratitude can allow you to overlook so many sins and omissions. <laughs> and we might hope that others feel gratitude for our good works or for us, so they might cut us some slack or give us some grace when we don't deserve it. Gratitude is a healer unto itself. I also think gratitude is a portal into a way of being that is relational as it reconnects us to people, even people who have harmed us, and to something much larger than we are. If you have harmed someone, you might consider giving something of value to them in thought, in word, or deed. They might just experience gratitude for you. Sort of like your sins are forgiven. Or like the Buddhists would say, karma being transformed. Gratitude is not something, though, you have to feel every once in a while. You can experience gratitude and feeling grateful whenever you choose. In the companion story, you know how the phrase, don't settle for less, continued to cross my mind. And as it did, I continued to pray for Archer, alternating with prayers for myself to stay close to divine source, to be guided, and to feel Mother Mary's arms around me. You know how we've talked about resourcing before. Well, prayer and what you believe are both very powerful resources. And I was calling on both and believing that God was with me constantly. I felt grounded and centered. Advocacy, relational advocacy, might be a critical part of your trauma healing journey. 
It might be finding your voice and making a request for your well-being while you remain open to hearing others' stances on why or why not they can accommodate that. This is what my husband Billy was doing with me in the companion story. Finding your voice might not be slinking away when you do feel rejected, but rather being strong enough to be vulnerable, not settling for less. And that might be a call to advocacy for yourself on your own inner journey, to explore your patterns and past traumas too, to make sense of them so you can metabolize them, allowing you to feel restored over time to who you were called to be. Advocating and not settling for less might also mean that you set up a meeting or have a conversation where you can admit you are wrong or close-minded or were just operating out of a half-full picture. It might be thanking the other person for telling you, helping you wake up. Or it might be that you acknowledge that what they say is true, but that you think it's incomplete and part of your relational advocacy for yourself is that you share the information to add to a wider truth. Relational advocacy has an attitude of not settling for less, but digging deeper for greater understanding and human connection. You see, the relational lens views advocacy as an interaction, a give-and-take sharing of information and of listening. Relational advocacy is a very real component of trauma healing. And it's the next chapter of conflict transformation. You don't have to believe in God in order to survive trauma. But dang, believing in God sure does help at the time of the apex of the crisis and during the time of the unfolding fallout and the expected and unexpected emotional debris, even the financial shrapnel caused by the bomb, the blast, the inner explosion of a traumatic event. I'm wondering how many of you have a relationship with God? I would imagine most of you, or certainly many of you, since you're interested in trauma and trauma healing. You know, of all the trauma healers I have met from many different disciplines, and since Archer's accident, I've had the blessing to have met a number They all believe in a divine presence. And I've thought about that a lot. We might heal our broken bodies with medical interventions and time. But we heal our broken lives with restored faith. I think so. Faith in self, 
faith in others, faith in community, faith in God's universe. It's why we ask the universe and the universe responds. And we can support the healing of our broken bodies, including our broken hearts, by choosing to remain optimistic because something good will happen. And for me, it was this deep belief in God's divinity and that none of us, none of us, was made to suffer, but that it's just part of our human condition to suffer. I just had to find and search for the higher reason because I knew it was there. Because I knew there was God and God didn't want us to suffer. I just had to keep asking God and what it was, what was I supposed to do and to stay sustained believing until I got some answers. And until I got the answers, to try and quiet my chatter, my emotional reactivity, and my body so I could hear God's whisper in my life and stay hopeful. And for me, that whisper was to have others Stay hopeful with me. You know that from the companion story. Yes, I asked others. And that's what you might do too in your loss, in your grieving, in your trauma. I realize now as well that even in those traumatic times when there are no indicators that all will be well, we are still more likely to experience a part of trauma healing when we hold true to a belief in what is possible. Blind faith has a place, a central place, in trauma and in trauma healing. Thank you for listening in. I hope these highlights spurred you to reflect more on what you learned in season two. We'll be back in a couple weeks with more bonus content from seasons two and one. And season three is just around the corner in April. So make sure you are subscribed to be notified when it premieres. Our Patreon members can anticipate a sneak peek of season three before the premiere, along with the bonus episodes they have gotten early. So make sure to sign up on Patreon if you haven't yet. And thank you for supporting Blink of an Eye. I look forward to connecting with you more as we begin Season 3 
in April. As always, follow us on Instagram at Blink of an Eye Pod and find us on Facebook at Blink of an Eye Podcast. Season three is in the works and will be coming to you wherever you listen to podcasts in several weeks. This gives you time to catch up and go back to episodes you may have missed. And please tell your friends or anyone who might be home in quarantine or isolated due to COVID-19 to subscribe and start with episode one, season one, to binge listen to a riveting story that will help the time fly by and provide new insights. listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye Podcast is sponsored by I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. I See That provides a national pool of SCI-specialized radiologists for second opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and advocacy team for SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. They will also host the inaugural virtual conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing. To donate and find out more, please visit www.icthat.org. That's the letters I-C-T-H-A-T dot org.